Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 10. I'm not really sure what to say this time around. I should be sitting here celebrating a little milestone like 10 episodes, but I think we can all agree that now is not the time for celebration. Most people are aware that tensions are running high right now, and that real change needs to happen. I'll admit, I'm probably not the most informed person on everything that has gone on recently, but I do know that what happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor is fucked up. It goes back further than that, though. Police have been getting away with heinous crimes for years. One of my best friends is black, and I have quite a few minorities in my family. I don't know what I would do if this happened to them. It's been beautiful seeing so many people speak out against oppression and racial injustice during these protests. It's also sad to see some of the same people that have complained about businesses being destroyed had nothing to say about the murders that initially caused these protests. Do you really value property more than you do a human life? One of the most beautiful characteristics about hardcore is the community aspect. It's been wonderful seeing bands like Terror, Jesus Peace, Have Heart, and countless others making shirts and selling records to benefit causes like Reclaim the Block, The Bail Project, and the George Floyd Memorial Fund. There's a ton of other bands and labels that have been raising money for these causes and countless others too. I strongly recommend donating what you can or at least spreading the word about these causes. It will be interesting to see if some positive change will come from all this. Let's stick together and keep fighting the good fight until we see results we know we all need right now. With that being said, I started this podcast as a distraction and maybe we could all use that right now. As always, you can find us on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. There you will find links to social media pages as well as a list of all streaming platforms. Feedback and comments can be sent using the form at the bottom of the website. This episode features part two of my conversation with Mike Jeffers. We will discuss more of Mike's bands, such as Face the Panic, Juggernaut, Gentlemen of Age, and Longest War. The interview is coming up right after I tell you about podcasting with Anchor. So yeah, we're going to jump into 2008, but uh, before we do that, I just wanted to make sure, was there anything we didn't touch on in the first interview that you, that you wanted to get off your chest or anything? Mm. You mean, uh, let's just talk about the, the Bob controversy that's been ongoing. Bill Page is... is, is espousing lies um his name is bob you know he, he came to buffalo he went to the university of buffalo hung out with all of us guys in union and our crew he's bob to all of us what rob said outside of that doesn't matter we all know the truth um especially now he's over 40 years old you can't you can't be called rob anymore if you're over 40 you, you you've elevated to to the status of bob you know, um, when you start out, you're, you're Robbie or Bobby when you're younger, you know, Robert later on, Rob, maybe in your 20s, you know, as soon as you cross that, that threshold of 40, he, he's a Bob, uh, you know, so Bill may have never called him Bob. Um, but then again, Bill calls, you know, Gus from Press Gang Records guy, and he's the only one who calls Gus guy. Now, granted, Gus's real name is Guy, but everyone on Earth calls him Gus. So I, I you know, 
I don't know if Bill wants to play that angle. We could go with that angle too. But uh, me and all the guys in Union and and our crew, he's Bob. <clears throat> yeah, I guess now we would we would have to pick it up with with face the panic. Yep, um, that was my plan. Um, so I guess that was that was a more re- of a return to a more traditional hardcore sound. Um, and you had a lot of my favorite favorite Buffalo people in the band, uh, most of which I'd like to get on this podcast before the year's over. Yeah. Uh, what was it like playing with all those guys? Awesome. I mean, they're, they're some of my best buddies um, still to this day. Um, Herod was, we had just finished up uh, a cycle for our 2006 record. Um, and we needed a break. You know, we all wanted a break because we've been going hard for, for six years. So, <clears throat> you know, me being friends with Jay, with Sweeper, uh, with Aaron, uh, who was in Lockjaw and E.T. in the beginning, and Ruben, um, you know, we decided let's uh, let's just do a more traditional New York hardcore style band. Um, we took our name from the, the Zero Tolerance song, Face the Panic. And, uh, you know, I, I promised those guys, I said, look, man, we're going to get a record out. We're going to do a bunch of touring. And, uh, you know, right away um, we went, we recorded, a, you know, a demo at Watchmen. Um, really wasn't a demo, I should say. We recorded like like six or seven songs right off the bat. Um, because we've all known each other forever, you know, came together really easily, uh, playing with one another. Um it was just so simple to write songs, so enjoyable. And as soon as we wrote that, that, that first seven songs and recorded it, uh, Rob Antonucci said, well, I'm, I'm doing my own record label called Luchador media. Uh, I want to put it out. And, uh, you know, Rob had done Achilles on the label and polar bear club CD. And we said, yeah, man, let's do it. So we did it. Um, and then in the meantime, just started playing shows. Our, our first show, uh, was in Buffalo to Showplace Theater, and it was with Hatebreed and Sub Zero and Sycamore. So it was a, a pretty awesome show right off the bat. Um, you know, within no time, um, you know, Patrick from from Reaper uh, had expressed some interest in and in doing a full length for the band, and I had known Patrick um, from years ago. Uh, I met him on a despair union um, tour, the one we did in 97 with Brothers Keeper and uh, Turmoil. And Patrick was the roadie for despair. And, you know, he wound up helping out union as well. We became friends. And uh, yeah, he put out our full length on Reaper. Um, and we, we just continued to tour. We, you know, we did a U.S. tour, played in Mexico, you know, down in Puerto Rico. Um, we recorded a ton of covers, you know, I, I think we record like 17 originals, you know, but we recorded like 17 covers as well. Um, which, which one day I'm, I'm going to make sure that it gets out, uh, you know, on classic core at the very least, but also I'm going to have it released digitally too. Um, you know, but the band was a lot of fun. Um, but to quote Doug White, who recorded our records, you know, he's like, this is this is just a train wreck waiting to happen. He's like, you got five big personalities in the band. You know, me and Galvin, Ruben, Sweeper, and Aaron um, are definitely used to doing things a certain way, you know, our own way. 
Um, and, and we did wind up butting heads, uh, you know, not so much in the beginning, but, you know, after, after the first year and, uh, you know, we had like a real short run. The band was really like summer of 06 until, uh, you know, the beginning of 2008 and, and, and it, it was, it was over, you know, <laughs> but it was cool. We did a lot of cool stuff in a very short amount of time. feel like you and and galvin and ruben have probably released like close to 150 records combined by now with your discographies it's it's pretty crazy um because i'm getting ready to interview ruben this week too and he sent me the list of bands he's been in too and, and i knew about a lot of them and then some of my you know it's it's like with you, you guys have been in so many bands that, you, that i just kind of forgot about some of them you know what i mean yeah um, and, and, and that's the thing um you know ruben myself and jay um have always played in you know, not just one style of, of hardcore band, like who's willing to play, you know, more punk sounding, sometimes alternative rock, heavy metal bands, you know. So a lot of people, if they're only in a hardcore, only know what we did in like a hardcore setting. Um, but if, if, if someone, you know, from a different scene, I mean, I, I, there are people who were into Herod for the past 15 years who don't know that I ever have played in hardcore bands, you know. Um, 
same thing with Jay. Jay you know, I, when when I really became friends with Jay, he, he wasn't playing in Slugfest or anything. He was playing in a band called Drop Trow, and I was playing in some, um, you know, alternative band called Go Dog Go. We met like on a Tuesday night, you know, playing some crappy show at this bar. Um, you know, we all have had varying uh, musical interests. So if you look at, at the bands Jay has done outside of hardcore and Ruben too, you know, it, it, we've all released a lot of music, um, you know, not necessarily one style, but many. So I think the next band after that would be area denial then. Yeah, actually I was thinking about this the other day. Um, and then I forgot about it because of everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, I did for a brief time, um, while Face of Panic was going on and Herod was still on a break, uh, I did a. I joined Eric Elman and Chris Smith from you know No Reason, Play with Rage, They Live. Those guys uh, had a band called The Grail, um, which was basically sounds like Danzig one through four, and uh, <laughs> it's it, it's awesome. Eric sang, Chris played guitar, um, me on drums. And uh, Jeremy from from Herod actually played bass. And uh, I recorded one demo with them. I played one show uh, and I got kicked out of the band. Um, You know, I had my suspicions as to why. uh, But I mean, no hard feelings. You know, it is what it is. Um, Oh, Jeremy from Envy was also in the Grail, too. Jeremy, who's also in Old Ghosts and Drought, Amphetamine, Love Child, and he's in GOA with me now. Um, that was just another one of those bands where, where I think, you know, you got too many cooks in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, some people don't always like that. Um, but, yeah, so after after the Grail, um, Herod actually, you know, reconvened to, you know, work on our start working on a new record. But while that was happening, I started uh, a band called Area Denial with Mike Gifford from slave state. Uh, there's slap a ham records band from Buffalo. Um, you know, Buffalo's answer to, to infest. Um, you know, Mike's actually a little older than me and that's unusual because I don't usually get to play in bands with people who are older than me who like cool shit. Um, and Dave anchovies from the band plates played bass. Uh, he owns spiral scratch records and, um, Eric Buffaro, uh, Biff, Everybody knows Biff from I Object and Feral Kid Records. Um, and I was actually Biff's substitute teacher when he was in high school. So it was kind of strange, you know. Um, I went from being this kid's teacher, seeing him in school all the time, um, to playing in a band with him years later. Uh, and um, <clears throat> the band was awesome. Definitely like, you know, maximum rock and roll style of, you know, American hardcore 78 to 84 era. It was just, just fast and raw. And I loved it. And it was cool. It was different for me because I was playing in front of crowds that I hadn't played in front of, you know, um, with most of the hardcore bands I've been in, you know, it was, I, I guess, I guess you could say it was more mainstream style. Like, you know, union was on ferret and dead of the war was on stillborn, you know, face panics on reaper. You know, definitely have like a certain demographic, I guess. And Area Denial, I was the weird guy in the band. Because these guys were all about playing in, in basements and, and, and really underground stuff. Um, 
so it was it was wicked. And playing with Gifford, like Mike Gifford, not only is he one of like the best dudes ever, um, man, dude made me such a, a better drummer because he plays so fast. Like I thought I could play fast until I play with Mike Gifford, you know. Um, so yeah, that band was was really enjoyable. Um, we did a uh, comp track um, for a Feral Kids Feral Kid Records comp. Uh, and then we also released a uh, CD and tape um, as well. So there was like only like eight songs that we actually had out there at the time. Um, and Mike wound up um, moving away, uh, which is, you know, one of the reasons the band, you know, went away. Uh, you know, him and his wife and his son, um, they got a job and, you know, jobs in North Carolina. So that, that effectively ended the band. Um, but I, but I will tell you, um, we played this one show, one of our first shows and, uh, it was at this art space down on main street in Buffalo across the street from the town ballroom. And, um, like I said, I was the odd man out. So like, you know, I got like a mad ball shirt on and I'm hanging out outside and some kid, you know, comes up to me and they're like, shouldn't you be across the street at the other show? I look across and like, I think like sworn enemy was playing at the ballroom that night too. And I'm like, no, I'm supposed to be right here. Um, so it was cool. Like, like the, the kids who were in, you know, the, the scene at the time, you know, the maximum rock and roll, more underground stuff. Like they didn't know who the fuck I was, um, you know, and just had an assumption because I was wearing a mad ball shirt. I didn't know what was going on. Um, so it was cool for me to just, just, you know, become a part of a completely different scene than I was used to.
Yeah, and it's interesting how much those kids, you know, they seem like they'd be inclusive, but they can be kind of exclusive about stuff like that. And and I don't really see how anybody could hate on a band like Madball too to begin with, you know. But <laughs> well, I I mean to to each their own, you know. I under I understand that. Um, but I mean, it just goes to show, like, um, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like, someone thinks their band is like the shit, and you know they're the coolest people in the world. It's like, yeah, dude, you got these people over here in the, you know, who are in the hardcore also, also they have no clue who the fuck you are. Or your band is, you're not as important as you think you are. You know, like that's why I, I don't think people should, should take this all too seriously. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, man. You know, like it's just, just go and have a good time and have fun. You know, it's very easy to be judgmental, you know, uh, no doubt about that. Lord knows I've been judgmental over the years, but, uh, you know, when you can just like kind of just let it go, not take yourself too seriously and stuff, you know, shit gets to be a lot more fun. Yeah. And then not taking yourself too seriously. Things actually come up a few times recently because I, I told you I got in touch with the saving throw guys recently. Yeah. Uh, and both them and and in my last interview with uh, Greg Benoit from, from the Rochester Hardcore History. Yep. Um, they, they were all referencing that. How like, you know, when we're young and especially in the scene, like, like hardcore, we all take ourselves really way too seriously. And, and it's, it should be more about just having fun and not, not like all the posturing and all the crap that comes along with it, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, that's the, the, the beauty of if you can stay involved in the hardcore scene, you know, well into your forties, you know, like we're all getting or already are. Um, it's, it, 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 it's cool to see all these people who may have been complete, pieces of shit to you when they were 18 to 20 years old and now you see them at 40 and like they they turned out to be really really awesome people you know when you realize like hey man maybe they maybe we were all just a bunch of jerks back then and you know we all were you know like for what reason we're all trying to do the exact same thing you know and uh you want to make your scene stronger you got to prop each other up um and like i said it's easy to be judgmental you know, but uh, if you just don't take yourself too seriously, there's enough room for everybody in the scene. You know, the more the merrier and everybody should be on the same side um, and don't take it too seriously. Because if, if you are like way too serious about it, you know, th- those people are always the first to leave the scene and, and to be gone, you know, because they just don't get it. You know, if you want to be a lifer, you got to lighten up. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of segues perfectly into talking about the next band, uh, Gentlemen of Age. Uh, so, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that band's still active too? Oh, hell yeah. Um, we just put out like a new record in like, I don't know, November. Herod's doing another record. Um, me and Bob have started Longest War and everything. Um, but I still have more time to do stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, I got a, like a metalcore band. I got a metal band. I want to do something, you know, more punk or like straight up, uh, straight up traditional hardcore, maybe like 78 to 86 era. And uh, I couldn't think of anyone that I hadn't already played with, or I couldn't think of anyone who wasn't doing a band to start a band with. So I shit you not, this is going to make me sound like the biggest herb ever, but I don't care. Like one night I was just like trolling Facebook under, you know, like musicians. And I see like a guitar player in the black flag and the circle jerks and off. So I click on it and this dude's like, you know, I, I love black flag, the circle jerks and off. Uh, I want to play, play in a punk band, you know, no bullshit rock star stuff. 
So I'm like, sweet. I get a hold of the guy and I'm talking to him. He's like, yeah. Um, yeah, I've never actually played in a band before. I'm like, really? You know, I'm like, how old are you? He's like, oh, I'm like, like 43. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. Um, he's like, I've only been playing guitar for a little while. I'm like, uh, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah. He's like, um, I had like open heart surgery, um, you know, a little while ago. And uh, I decided I always wanted to play guitar in a punk band. So I'm going to do it. So I was like, whoa, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, I almost died. And uh, I decided I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to die without like doing this thing I've, I've always dreamed of doing. So I was like, yeah, all right, man. Uh, why don't you come down, meet me, my, my, my practice space. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see, maybe I can help you out. Not really thinking anything of it more or less. Like I talked to this guy for like an hour on the phone. And I felt guilty. I'm like, oh, I should probably help this motherfucker. Cause if he dies tomorrow without playing in a punk band, you know, I'm, I'm going to hell. Right. <laughs> so, so dude comes down and, uh, He's got like a, a, a fucking full stack rig and everything. Real nice Gibson guitar. I'm like, all right, man, so far so good. Um, you know, he's a, he, it looks like a, like, like a tough dude, you know. I'm like, all right, man, all right, this guy's pretty cool. He's fit fit in the role. And we start, you know, he starts playing me some riffs. And I'm like, all right, these are, these are kind of cool. You know, I'm like, well, if we speed this one up, um, it'll be better if we get rid of this part. Um, if you change that part, cause that sounds like ska, like, let's just take that out of the song. So I, like I arranged all his riffs and changed all the tempos and everything. And literally within like three hours, we had 10 songs down, just hardcore punk songs. I'm like, fucking awesome. This is great. So <clears throat> he's like, all right, well, what do we do next? I'm like, well, we're going to get a bass player. And, uh, you know, I'm like going through my head. I'm like, fuck, everybody's playing in a fucking band right now. Or this person can't cause I got kids and their job. And then I was like, it tops at like two in the fucking morning by my house, um, buying something and, uh, around the corner and boom, there's my buddy, Rich standing in front of me. Uh, and Rich is, is one of my friends from, from UB, uh, who's from Long Island initially. So a fellow downstater and, uh, he just happened to be there and I'm like, holy shit. I didn't even think of it. I'm like, Rich, dude, I'm, I'm starting this 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 punk band with this guy who had like open heart surgery and he wanted to do a band before you know before he died and uh he's like uh all right i'm gonna ask my wife that sounds kind of interesting let me see he said yes so we started practicing you know practice for a couple of weeks and uh every time we practicing the door would knock it opened the doors jordan from juggernaut and uh i'm like yeah dude what what's up man he's like oh it's fucking cool what you guys are doing i really dig it I'm like, yeah, man, thanks. Um, so you got a singer yet? I'm like, no. So can I try? I'm like, well, aren't you in Juggernaut? He's like, yeah. He's like, I, I, he's like, I could do it, just totally different voice. So he came in and just started singing over our songs. It was fucking awesome. You know, I'm like, holy shit. So uh, we had Nate Borman come down to Discovery with his rig, and we recorded the full length in one night, completely live. Uh, within a couple of weeks, um, press gang put it out for us and we started playing shows and um all of a sudden the, the, the guy who we had on guitar you know his story started unraveling and it turned out like he had tried starting like new metal bands with with like new metal dudes in town and they thought he was a dick and that he used to be like turned out he was some like edm uh dj in new york city in the early 90s and um this guy was just like living some hardcore fantasy and, and just spun these web of lies. And he was like, dude, 
we need to monetize this band. We got to get like YouTube to sponsor us. We need like a KFC endorsement. And I'm like, what the fuck are you <laughs> talking about? I'm like, dude, we just want to play shows in the basement and like hang out with our friends and have a good time. He's like, well, how the hell is the band going to make money? I'm like, well, the band doesn't need to make money. We all have jobs and shit like that. This is just for fun. So like, oh, I, I don't know about this, man. You know, like uh, this is my music. I'm like, bro, you, you wrote some riffs. I arranged your songs. He wrote the fucking melodies. He wrote the bass lines. It's all of our music now. You know, and he like threatened to sue us. And then, you know, um, we threatened to kick the shit out of him. Um, <laughs> it was it was just fucking ugly. Um, you know, the guy was just like, he's a fucking turd. He was uh, just one of these dudes who just I figured he'd, he'd like join some band and, you know, become rich and famous at 43 years old playing punk rock. Um, so uh, this guy's a fucking herb. So, you know, um, I called up Jeremy Mazguy, um, you know, who I played with in the Grail. And Jeremy actually played bass in, in Union when we had started. And I was like, dude, uh, we got a punk band going. We need a guitar player. The one we had turned out to be a giant, you know, piece of shit. Um, he's like, all right, man, send me the track. So I sent it to him. He's like, oh, fuck, this is awesome. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jeremy joined. And that's probably like 2015. And we put out. Uh, let's see, a full length, uh, a split EP with the band Tension from Buffalo, uh, an EP of our own, and then we put out a covers record um, on Classic Horror Press Gang. And uh, it's been great, man, because, you know, like, Slapshot comes through, you know, we'll get asked to play because we're playing like that more traditional style of hardcore. AF comes through, we'll play. Uh, what was it? The, the Toasters came through. We played with the fucking toasters right before, uh, you know, this whole pandemic started, um, which none of us are like, like ska fans per se. Um, but we knew it would be the demographic, like who would appreciate what we're doing, like old people. Um, you know, had we known the pandemic was going to start immediately after we played that show, maybe we would have like not played it because Jeremy's like, dude, if we all die because of this, you know, I don't want anyone to know the last show we played was with the toasters, <laughs> you know, I'm like, fuck man, you know, but it's cool. It's, it's, it's super low key. Um, Jeremy went to, to UB with me and rich. Um, so the three of us have been friends for like 27 years. We don't fight. We don't bitch our whole relationship. When we all started was, was skating. We all skated with each other and then, you know, went to shows and everything and now playing a band, but like, it's literally all fun. And, because we know exactly what we're doing. We don't fight over writing songs as easy. You know, we hop on these shows and we play with, you know, people who want to see what we're doing. Um, and we, we sell tons of records. It blows my mind. And, and honestly, we, we haven't played out of Buffalo. We've been a band for five years. You know, we play at the Mohawk, um, you know, or we play in basements and all these young basement kids, you know, Buffalo has a, an awesome punk, you know, and hardcore punk basement scene. Um, and we go down there and like, uh, there'll be bands, like the kids are like 15 years old and then there's us and everybody treats us, you know, they don't treat us like we're old. They think it's fucking cool. I'm like, this is weird as shit, you know? Um, but yeah, man, that band's a, a lot of fun. It's pretty awesome. If, if you like more just traditional, like hardcore punk, um, that's, that's what we do. I 
you mentioning recording the whole album live. Is that the first time you had done something like that? Where you, you know, I'm guessing that means like you recorded all the instruments together and the vocals all at the same time, instead of like as opposed to like an, at Watchmen where you would record all separately. Yeah, well, no, it wasn't the first time. Um, with Face the Panic, we recorded uh, a covers um, record, and uh, it was it was after Ruben was was no longer in the band as he was he was concentrating on chosen ones. Um, we had this guy Nick um, uh, from the band Monument you know, uh, in Buffalo, they were early, early nineties band, uh, that played a lot of hardcore shows and they, they, they were kind of more crossover. Um, but anyway, we recorded live at Watchmen. Um, so basically every single one of us played all the songs at the same exact time. And, uh, if you fuck up, you got to start the whole song over. Um, but if you don't fuck up, uh, the energy that you get is awesome. And every GOA record that we do is all 100% live. You know, um, it seems like the best way, like we're all in the room together. You know, we just put baffles in front of like the, the bass cab or the guitar cab. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, if it's if it's too loud, Jordan is right outside the door, but he is singing while we're playing. And uh, I think it, 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 it comes off, you know, sounding really, really powerful. You can feel the energy from a bunch of well, Jordan's young. Jordan's only like 29 or 30. Um, but you can still feel the energy coming from the guys who are over 40 in the band, um, which is cool. Um, I do like recording live. Um, Air Denial recorded, like I'd say 95% of it was live. I think we, we had to go back and overdub like a guitar lead or two and one or two of the songs. Um, you know, that was still, it was all done in like one night, you know, um, kind of like um, Better Than a Thousand, just one. Like that record was recorded like in 10 hours in one night. And I think that record is way better than value driven because you could just have like a different type of energy to it. Um, so I'm like a big fan of, you know, bands just getting in there and just, just hit fucking record and go, you know? All right. So now that I guess uh, we're not really going in a timeline fashion as much, I think, I think it'd be good to talk about juggernaut now, since you're saying that Jordan sings for them. Um, is that, is that how you ended up joining that band? Cause you're already in GOA with him. Uh, no, at, uh, I don't, not really. Um, all right. So juggernaut would practice down the basement of discovery, right? They needed a room. So they had a room down at discovery and, uh, you know, I'm down there all the time. So I'd hang out with these guys and, and they're a lot younger than me. Um, you know, 15 to 20 years, depending on which member of the band you're talking about. So some of them, I could be their dad. Um, but I always thought they were cool. And uh, the style of music to me sounded like stuff that would have come out in the mid nineties. So, you know, I was a big supporter of them because I thought what they were doing, um, nobody was doing at the time. Now every band and their fucking mother is aping this 90s style. But um, anyway, uh, when their band started, I had helped them, you know, so they could get a release out on Blasphemer Records, you know, kind of try and help them get the ball rolling. I'd help them, you know, get on shows around here. You know, I'd, I'd wear their shirts and talk them up. I thought they were just fucking great. Um, and uh, so one thing or another happened, and Jordan, the singer, and Richie, the guitar player, uh, had parted ways with their drummer and their bass player. And you know, they, 
I was tied with those guys. So they came over to my room one night after I'd finished practicing with someone. I'm not even sure of what band. And they were like, Hey, we got, we got like, you know, four or five songs, uh, that juggernaut had written. We didn't get to record before, you know, we, we, you know, parted ways with the other guys. Uh, if we went into the studio, um, would you want to play drums on it? I'm like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I started practicing with them and I'm like, this is great, dude. I'm like, I said, fuck this though. Like, don't, don't break up your band. Like we talk about, I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to be your new drummer and uh, I'm going to find us a bass player and I'll get us like, you know, a bunch of shows and we'll get some records out. We're going to keep this shit going because it's too fucking good. Um, so I joined them. I, th- I think it was, geez, maybe it was, maybe it was 2015, possibly 2016. I just know my first show with the band officially was, uh, it was like juggernaut, um, borrow time, mad ball, uh, and the band that the clear focus kids did before it was called clear focus. I can't remember the name offhand at, at, at the, at the Mohawk. And, um, you know, I've been in the band since, um, and then, uh, from there, I, 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 you know, because I was playing with juggernaut, it was easier to have Jordan be in GOA, you know, um, it was all like kind of around the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. We, all right. Yeah, a little shit. Yeah, I, I know it was a, a big contentious thing from the original guitar player of GOA. It was like, how the hell could you be a GOA and Juggernaut? You know, when Juggernaut, you know, with the younger guys, you're going to do a lot more and you're not, you know, like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? It's like, this is hardcore, man. Like, there's like one guy's in like 50 bands. It's just, that's how it is, you know? Like, um, but yeah, like, uh, Jordan uses a completely different voice, a singing voice in Juggernaut as opposed to GOA. So it was like a non-issue between the bands because most people can't tell it's the same person. If I played a Juggernaut song than a GOA one, they don't, they don't know it's the same guy. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I've been doing Juggernaut for four or five years. Um, they had already put out their, their EP on Blasphemer Records. Um, called Overlooked, and after I joined, we put out, um, uh, I don't know, you, they used, we used to call them like mini CDs then, or 10 inches, um, called Ambition to Destroy on Irish Voodoo Records, uh, which Longest War has worked with Irish Voodoo Records as well. And, um, you know, we play as many shows as possible, um, around the Northeast last, last June, we were out with uh chokehold and um, for the love of, and, you know, a lot of the bands that I do are all, and the things that we do are all interconnected. So obviously like juggernaut going out with chokehold made sense because I've been friends with Chris for 27 years. And, you know, Chris is in longest war, you know, with me. Um, so he was throwing us a bone and it was cool because, you know, the, the, um, the guys in for the love of, you know, dead of the world used to play with for the love of a whole bunch back in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, um, we're all tied to ferret records, you know, like it's just, it's just, just cool circular thing. Um, for right now though, with, with juggernaut the thing is we haven't played a show since November. The last show we played was with rotting out 
And um, we had, before that, we hadn't played since like August because we had spent August to November writing a new full length. And November, we started recording it. And uh, we literally just finished, you know, all the, the, the recording, the mixing, the mastering of the record when this pandemic started. So, you know, we've been done with it since March. But right now, it's like we're just kind of sitting on it. Um, there's no point in, like, putting it out if we can't go out and play shows behind it. Um, you know, which is unfortunate. But uh, I think it's going to turn some fucking heads. Um, I got the, you know, I did as best I could to get these guys to leave, lead, leave their comfort zones as far as what hardcore is and what they can do within the realms of hardcore. You know, it's a lot of times, you know, younger kids, you know, like I can't do that. It's not hardcore. You can't do this. Like, ah, fuck it. You can do whatever the fuck you want. That's why it's hardcore, man. So you know, it really went out on a limb and, you know, every band says like whatever they're just recorded is the best thing they've ever done. Like this is fucking definitively the best thing juggernaut has ever done. And if someone says we fucking suck after this record comes out, I, I, there's there's something fucking wrong with them um you know not with us um this is you know real proud of it it's, it's, it's going to be awesome when it when it finally gets out there and we're going to do as much as we possibly can with the restrictions that are going to be in place you know um because obviously i don't think we're going to really be able to do anything until after you know the start of 2021 Yeah.
what label is that all is that full length coming out are you putting that out too or is that or are you gonna have another label for that well irish voodoo um oh okay it's set to do the the lp cd tape thing same as longest war um you know that they've done for us so now it's just a matter of like when when we do it you know um you put out a record now and you you can't play any shows off of it you know it's hard to build momentum no one's gonna fucking care you know um you got you got to be out there playing live people got to see it um you know even for me um a lot of times a band doesn't even click for me unless I see them play it live first. Like the band's awesome fucking live. And I don't mean like having a crazy live show. I mean, as long as like they're adept musicians and you know, I don't know. I'll buy into it more, I guess. I got to see bands live a lot of times to really like fully buy in. You know, there's so many bands nowadays that are all just like studio fucking tricks. They can't record hundred percent live or they can't play without having like a click track or backing track to follow. Um, and I just want to see some bands just, just get up there, fucking plug in, just fucking rip, you know? Um, and that's for, for us with juggernaut, that's our thing, you know, like we, we practice so much, you know, at least up until the pandemic, you know, um, where you can't tell the difference between, you know, our record and, and what we're playing live, you know? we can replicate what we recorded live very easily. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I guess it all depends on how, how the pandemic progresses throughout, throughout the country. So I guess you were mentioning uh, Chris Logan with the juggernaut talk, obviously. So uh, mm-hmm. let's talk longest war a little bit. Uh, obviously people know from listening to part two of the Rob interview that, that he's in the band with you and, they, and that kind of reunited you guys uh, for the first time in, in a little while there in a band anyway. Well, all right. So, Bob had said 2014 it was actually 2013, May 2013, when we recorded like the the longest word demo. Um, but the back before we record the demo, uh, it came together, you know, um, me and Rob, even if we haven't been playing in bands like when I was doing hair and he was doing Achilles, um, we're, we're still best friends. We still talk. We're still a part of each other's lives. He helps me immensely doing all the artwork you know, for pretty much every band that I'm in, you know, he'll help me with doing the artwork, doing the t-shirts, doing posters, you know, in the case of face of panic, he, he put out our first EP. Right. Um, so, you know, Bob had had his kids and they were getting a little older. So he had some more time and, you know, we were talking like, you, you want to do a band again? Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, he asked if I knew someone, shit see this is how i know i'm getting old josh because i also played in a band <laughs> called the march um prior to this that was around the same time as area denial um and this ties in so with longest war we needed a bass player and i like let's have fligger play brian fligger who's in despair um because i had been playing in a band called the march with fligger um, for like, you know, the year or two prior or whatever we had been playing. Um, so Bob was like, yeah, all right, that's, that's awesome. Let's do that. You know, and we were trying to come up with people to sing and, uh, you know, like, you know, jeez, I, I had seen Logan. I would still see Logan all the time at shows and we'd still talk. And, uh, you know, we were like, what, what do you guys think about having Chris sing? 
And we were all like, yeah, let's do that. We got a hold of Chris. He was interested in doing it. Um, originally, uh, Eric Elman was going to play guitar with us. Um, and he was in the band at first, but Black X started getting a little more serious. So, so he continued on with Black X. And then Fligger went out to Seattle to Matt from Envy and Despair's wedding. And Matt was like, yeah, I want to be in your band. We're like, dude, you're, you're going to fucking fly to Buffalo so we can <laughs> record and do shows. He's like, uh, yeah. So that's what happened. You know, um, initially we went into uh, Mark Studios to record with Fred Betchen. Fred Betchen uh, did like releases from Zero Tolerance, Snapcase, Envy, Despair, Brothers Keeper, um, out of Mark Studios. And Mark Studios is a famous studio in Clarence, New York, um, where Ginger Baker from Cream had recorded, uh, where Christ the, the Conqueror recorded, which is, uh, you know, Jerry Only and Doyle's band. Um, uh, before the Misfits reunited. Um, and, and the songs that Christ the Conqueror had, you know, wound up being songs that, that were on that first Michael Gray's Misfits record. Um, so the studio's got a lot of history and it's really, it's really fucking cool. Really like acoustically perfect. They have like these giant blast doors, you know, separating the rooms. Um, like, so you feel like you're recording inside like a bank vault or something. Um, but we went in, we just re-recorded the demo and, you know, before it was even done, uh, Gus and Derek from Press Gang Records, you know, Derek from, from Old Ghost uh, and Gus were like, yeah, we want to just put this out on a seven inch. So we didn't even like put out a demo. Just what we, the first songs we recorded came out as our first seven inch. And um, it just kind of like spiraled from there. Um, it came out and then Ryan from Blasphemer Records, you know, was like, dude, uh, I want to do the, the, the CD and the tape and the digital, you know, for, for that release. Um, so we're like, fuck yeah, okay, we can do that. Um, but before that, we had gone back into the studio and recorded two new songs to do a split with Old Ghosts. So we wound up putting out our first 7-inch, split 7-inch, and then the CD and tape that contained both 7-inches, you know, within like the, the first eight months we were a band. You know, so it was moving like pretty quick. Um, Matt was flying out. And, and we go play shows um, all over the Northeast and stuff. Um, and then Irish Voodoo. Uh, well, actually, we wrote 10 songs. We're like, let's go fucking record it. Uh, so we went to Watchmen Studios with Doug. Because Doug, you know, obviously he knows, you know, people like me and like, you know, Ruben, Jay Galvin. He's known all of us for, you know, 25 plus years. He knows what we like. Well, how we want things to sound. We knew if we went in there because he's done so many records with us, we could bang out a killer record, you know, in like five days. So we went in um, over like February break when me and Bob had off from work and we banged out this full length and then just like shopped it around to a bunch of people. And then Irish Voodoo Records um, was interested in, in putting it out for us. And <laughs> Oh, wow. 
put out that full length uh, and just continued playing as much as we possibly could, you know, like uh, playing shows with like judge to TSOL um, to us going out with and, and, you know, playing a bunch of shows with burn, you know, in Canada, New York, you know. Um, and then uh, I think when things got more busy with, with chokehold, chokehold had gotten back together and they started, you know, touring Japan, uh, Europe, doing festival dates around the U.S., and then working on their new record. Longest War kind of went on the back burner. Um, but since this pandemic has, has started, um, you know, me, Bob, and Chris have been talking about, and Brian, um, you know, like, well, we're sending tracks back and forth to each other. So hopefully once this pandemic's lifted, we can get into a studio and, and, you know, get some, some longest war stuff out, and you know, play some shows here and there. Uh, like I said, it, it's, it's this whole thing, this pandemic has been terrible in a lot of ways. Um, it's been cool in a lot of other ways. Um, you know, I think Bob is being more prolific now with what he's, you know, with, with songwriting than he has in years. Cause he's, he's got time. He doesn't have to worry about work. Um, or, you know, coaching, um, he just hanging out and, and just getting shit done. So, uh, yeah, I'm stoked. It's, it, you know, I, I, I knew Chris, before, you know, obviously before, before Bob, um, as I introduced them. Um, but I've known Chris for, for like going on almost like 30 years and, uh, he's just a fantastic guy. And it, yeah, it's hard to do a band when you, your singer lives, you know, um, outside of Toronto, uh, your one guitar player lives south of Rochester. Your other guitar player lives on another coast. Um, but because we grew up listening to each other's bands, <clears throat> touring with each other's bands, um, going to the same shows, it's real easy for us to, to write the music and everything. And if, as long as we can get together 
uh, in person, you know, we can make everything happen. You know, so our, our, that full length we put on Irish Voodoo is, is is fucking hard as shit. You know, I'm proud of it. Sounds great, looks great, the songs are awesome. You know, so hopefully, we'll when this pandemic's over, we can we can get in the studio and, and record these new new tracks that we have. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I was telling Rob that I think it's some of the best stuff that he's he's written and been a part of too. Um, how did you initially hook up with Irish Voodoo? Was it just from sending him the promo tape to him, or did you know him before, or? Um, uh, honestly, uh, so uh, Joe Valella, I don't know if anyone's mentioned him. Um, he is someone you definitely need to have on your podcast. Um, Joe Valella, um, was in a band called KDC and they had put out a record on Irish voodoo. And he said that Irish voodoo did really right by the band, you know, the, the, the way that they were treated, um, you know, they're happy with the promotion that they got, things like that. And, uh, um, you know, Irish Voodoo has put out, uh, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, from uh, like Death by Stereo, uh, to, to PSO, they're doing Pure Heel stuff now. Obviously, they did, did, you know, did a Juggernaut record with them. Um, but like One Choice, um, The Last Stand, which is guys from Inhuman and Shutdown he's done a lot of awesome shit. So we're like, all right, man, we'll see what Joe has to say about it. And, and Joe has been so supportive, um, with, with longest war and juggernaut, you know, I can't, I can't possibly thank him enough. I think he's got a great label. Um, I, I, I wish we were over in California, um, and not New York. Um, be closer to his label of bands. His roster is awesome. Um, it's a lot of really cool stuff for bands, but, um, that's only because of Joe Valella and Joe Valella. If you don't know him, when, when I moved to Buffalo, uh, he was playing in I and D with Doug white, um, which later, you know, they, they had a band called Bane after years before Bane from, from Massachusetts. Um, and what was cool about Buffalo's band Bane is, uh, you know, I remember, uh, meeting Doug White like officially uh Doug just would show up at shows with you know a hundred copies of the hangman's new seven inch which Bane had put out and just give them away to fucking people for free you know um because that's like Doug's always been about the music and you know not the money's like just want to get it out there so you know Joe was in those bands um he played he was inherited with me as well um, me, Doug and Joe have done side project kind of things, you know, which uh, the one that Eric Warner wound up singing on, um, you know, Joe's a good guy that I've been tight with. And, and he really ran the Lockport hardcore scene, you know, at the, at, at a Kenzie's and, uh, the Niagara hotel up there. It was all you know, like Joe Valella. Um, you know, Jim Callahan could tell you a lot about him too. And Doug White, but he's someone you'll de- you definitely want to talk about. If you want to find out about Buffalo hardcore, you know, previous to, you know, the eighties and early nineties, I, cause like I said, I can only tell you from 93 on when I moved here. Um, but yeah, Irish voodoo kicks ass and Joe's very supportive. And if we wind up getting the longest war record done tomorrow, you know, he'll send it out to get pressed, you know, the next day. Um, so yeah, 
it, it's, there's a whole Buffalo connection between KDC, um, Longest War and Juggernaut, who have all worked with Irish Voodoo. It's kind of like with Ferret, like Union was on Ferret, you know, then Etid and Old Ghost were on Ferret too. You know, you had that that whole those, the tie-in. Um, the same way, like, you had, like, Despair, then it dies today, wound up being on Trust Kill. You, you know what I mean? I guess along those lines. Yeah, it's crazy that all these, like you're saying, all these Buffalo bands ended up on on the same label together, like you know, different labels, obviously, but you know what I mean. Um, and I guess speaking of Joe Valella, yeah, he's definitely come up on the podcast a couple times. Uh, Jim Callahan, like you said, he was he was talking about Joe's old bands. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I don't think I think I forgot to ask Jim in that interview is I'm pretty sure because uh, he was talking about IND in the interview. I, I, I want to say they, they did a split seven inch of Moment of Truth at some point, but I know they definitely yeah. played shows together either way. Um, yeah, they, they did a, they did do a split seven inch. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then the, the other person, obviously, that brought up Joe Valella was Bill Page. And um, speaking of Bill Page, uh, I guess for the second time in this interview now, um, <laughs> you, you did bring up Ron the Oppressor in the first interview. Um, and I recommend if people haven't listened to that, obviously, to listen to it. But just in case they haven't, um, just kind of briefly talk about that, uh, you know, what happened with Ron the Oppressor and the record and everything. Yeah. All right. So Ron the Oppressor was around the early 2000s. And uh, I, I thought the band was awesome, you know, from day one. You know, some of Sweeper's best riffs, um, Bill's, you know, best best lyrics and best delivery. And um, for one reason or another, it just didn't happen, right? And like I said, um, I kept bugging him to do a reunion show. Like, we can't, we can't, our drummer doesn't live here anymore. So I'll, I'll play drums for it. I just want it to happen. And then I was starting classic core records, you know, so I could reissue a lot of old Buffalo shit. I said, look, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get this the anthology CD out, but we got to do a show and I want to play drums for it. So we played the show in like 2016 and it was a lot of fun. And the guys were like, you want to keep going? And I said, fuck yeah. So uh, since then, you know, we, we, we put out a comp track on a strictly Buffalo comp on um, bankrupt studios and, and records. And uh, we just did um, six songs for a one-sided 12 inch. That's coming out on press gang records. Um, and that just depends on how long it takes a pressing plant to, to finish it. If it, you know, it could show up tomorrow, it could show up three months from now. Um, so as soon as it's out, uh, if we could play out, we'll play out. But, uh, I mean, that's just more, just, just fast fucking hardcore. And it rips with really, you know, uh, poignant lyrics that point out society's ills. Um, uh, there is a CD version of it, which which I am putting out on Classic Core, um, you know, which you can order right now. You know, if you go to like my the Classic Core Instagram or Facebook page, if you wanted to, um, you know, and while you're there, you can pick up GOA stuff. You can pick up the unreleased Dead of the World record. You can pick up uh, the Building on Fire anthology. You know, I got some scorchers there, um, you know, uh, and all the old stuff I know is up on every streaming platform known to man. And then, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's just cool. I've been friends with, with bill and sweeper and Ben forever, you know, Ben's younger. So him around 99, but bill and sweeper, I've known years before that, um, you know, funny story about bill. I'll, I'll I'll tell you this one real quick because it's, it's funny. Um, union and envy were playing in Auburn, New York, uh, maybe around, 94, 90, maybe 95. I'll say 95 um, with Lockjaw and Birthright. 
not, not birthright from Indianapolis, but birthright, um, you know, from Ithaca, New York, which Seth, the singer of birthright, I went to high school with, um, but anyway, we were playing there and, um, it was after Lockjaw played, um, Bill was sitting in the back of the room, like on a chair and this guy's pulling his shirt up. He's like injecting something into his stomach. I remember <laughs> going to like fucking Keith and Ben and Sprague. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? This guy's doing heroin right here in front of everybody. <laughs> like, fuck this band. And then uh, Sprague's like, dude, he's a diabetic, man. I'm like, what? Like, oh, Jesus, thank God. So my first thoughts of like, like Bill, like I knew who Bill was, but we weren't like friends enough for me to know he's a diabetic. I just thought the dude was a fucking heroin addict at first. <laughs> <clears throat> but he was just taking insulin. You know, yeah, a straight edge heroin act. That's right. You know, but I, I mean, listen, man. You know, um, I grew up downstate, so like you had New Jersey straight edge yeah. dudes, you know, who were smoking cigarettes, but they they were like, dude, I'm straight edge. I'm like, you're smoking <laughs> cigarettes. Like, yeah, man, but it doesn't fuck up my mind. I'm like, all right, fair <laughs> enough, good point. You know, um, <clears throat> so so who knows? Um, but no, Bill Page is the, the most straight edge person I've ever known, and. Well, hopefully be straight edge until the day he dies like at, at this point if he stopped being straight edge i would like not want to be around him um i'd be like dude there's something definitely wrong with the universe hell's gonna freeze over if you're not straight edge anymore you know um but yeah definitely not a heroin addict so you know but wow. it, it's cool i mean me and sweeper went on obviously we played in like face the panic with each other also um so writing with with wrong the oppressor is very easy um because I was a fan of the band. I used to fill in on shows for them when Joe, the drummer couldn't make it, but I played in bands with, with sweeper and I've known the guys forever. So I'm, I'm real, real psyched on it. Uh, Rob has listened to the, the songs and, and, and he thinks that's like the, the best stuff the band has done. Uh, he thinks the recording is a million bucks. So I'm excited for, for everybody else to hear, it. you know, um, I think it's a band that should have been much bigger than they were. Um, and, and more well-known. It wasn't for lack of trying. Those guys were out there like busting their asses for years, you know, but, you know, I mean, obviously you play a small part in the, the history of the band as well, but you know, sometimes like shit goes south and, 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 you know, records can't come out and that's just the way it happens. But these guys, you know, and myself have a positive attitude. We're like, well, if they were good songs, then they're still good songs now. So we're back out there doing it, you know? Yeah, that actually probably worked out better for me. That uh, I mean, it sucks that they broke up, but I, I, I honestly probably wouldn't have been able to, to put that record out anyways because I was I kind of got in a little over my head with putting records out around that time and the Building on Fire CD took forever to come out that I put out and another yeah. band ended up putting their CD on a different label. So I mean, that's that's a you know a good lesson learned for people starting labels yeah. is make sure you have the capital to put these releases out and, and don't get too ahead of yourself with like signing bands and stuff like that. You know. Mm-hmm um yeah well that's how but, labels get in trouble with with the you know they sign too many bands and they use the profits from the one band to, to pay for the next band but then the next band breaks up <clears throat> right after the mm-hmm. record comes out if you don't have money to pay the first band they don't have money to fund the third band that you, you wanted to sign and it's just like a <clears throat> vicious cycle to try and like catch up and try and get everybody happy and sometimes you know i don't blame people if they just walk away you know <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do it's weird. The last, the other part of the interview that we did, you know, I talked about how, like, I just played in bands for like shits and giggles, you know, before I came up to Buffalo and it was all just skate, skate, skate. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, my mom, uh, you know, 
um, when she couldn't, when she couldn't take care of the house that she was living in anymore, and we moved it to a smaller one. She's like, you got to get all your shit out of here from when you were a kid. And I, I grabbed as many of my old skateboards as I could that my older brother hadn't thrown out already, but I hadn't looked at any of them in years, you know, 20 years. They were just moved from place to place. And now I've been going through some of them. I'm like, fuck man. Skateboarding was like the most important thing in my life from like 1980 till 2000. And then it was just playing in bands and touring. And it's like, man, um, I want to get back out there and skate, you know? Um, you know, it's like most people, you know, they haven't known me my entire life. So it's like, you know, at one point I was actually like skinny, like really skinny. <laughs> and I was a fucking good skater. And then when I just started touring all the time from like 2000 on, it was like, fuck man, it was nothing but like Mountain Dew roller dogs and cigarettes. So, so now I you know, <laughs> got like the ultimate dad bod. Um, so I may have to drop 10 pounds before I can start skating again, you know, which is ironic because I want to start skating again so I can lose weight, but I got to lose weight before I could skateboard to lose more. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And this, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this as an insult, obviously, but I really mm-hmm. can't picture you on a skateboard. So <laughs> I know you talk about skateboarding a lot too, but I just, I, I can't, I can't get that mental image in my head for whatever reason, but yeah, it will well, be a, that's the thing. Like I have like, you know, all my teen years on video skating, you know, um, you know, Bob could tell you I was a good skater. If you get sprig on, he'll tell you Maz guy from envy, you know, like, um, yeah, man. Um, and I understand that, you know, when, when we met, um, it was uh, the early two thousands, you know, so I was already starting to, to bulk up, you know, um, that's the thing, man. It, it, it really wouldn't have killed me to eat a fucking salad every now and then, but <laughs> when you're on a road, it's like, fuck man, I want a roller dog, you know? I don't know if Bob ever told you like one night um, Dead of the World, we used to play the Hanover House in, in Meriden, Connecticut like every fucking week it seemed like you know, because Jamie Avery ran all the shows there and um, <clears throat> one one night after we had played um, we were fucking starving uh, and it, where the Hanover House was isn't like a, a good neighborhood in the slightest um, so we walked down to this little fucking bodega and uh they had they had like a like a couple like roller dogs on the fucking rollers, but they they looked like roller cheeseburgers. That's how long they had been there. And <laughs> I asked the guy, I'm like, dude, can I, can I get two of those? He's like, I'm not going to sell those to you. Those have been on here since like seven o'clock this morning. This was like two o'clock in the morning now. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't give a fuck. I'm like, I'm like, can I have them? He's like, no. I'm like, what if I buy a loaf of bread? Will you let me have them? He's like, well, you buy the loaf of bread, you could take them. So I bought a loaf of bread just so I can get like these fucking 18 hour old fucking Ugh. roller dogs. Um, just cause I was starving and I ate them. Um, you know, but yeah, it was gross. And then it, and at one point in time, like, you know, it was in my mid twenties, you know, that same night, like, so we had this loaf of bread. I only needed two pieces of bread to eat the fucking hot dog. <laughs> I'm like, well, what am I going to do with the rest of it? And I'm like, Hey, if I blow my fucking nose into the bread and then eat it, we guys give me like five bucks. You know, Bob's like, yeah, man. So I remember like blowing my nose and <laughs> the, the, the Hanover house wasn't the cleanest place. So it, it was just like just black fucking snot all in this white bread. And I balled it up, swallowed it and ate it, which really isn't that gross because it's, it's my snot. Like if it was Bob's, it probably would have been more gross. But, you know, um, yeah, maybe it's not that funny. It seemed funny to me, though, at the time, <laughs> even, <laughs> even before I started saying it, you know, um, 
Well, well, I guess that kind of segues into the next question too. Mm-hmm. Um, not including blowing snot into bread and not including having singers shout out the wrong state in a mm-hmm. mosh call. Um, what are some of the craziest things you've seen in your years of playing and attending shows? Jesus, dude. Um, well, there are ones involving me that obviously I'm not fucking super proud of. Um, <laughs> I remember like uh, when we were in Union, we were playing like a bunch of shows with like Dead Guy. And uh, <clears throat> one show we were playing was in Syracuse, actually, at uh, Hungry Charlie's. And uh, I want to say one of Brendan's band, Pori's bands played. I'm, I'm pretty sure Contempt did. And yeah, uh, probably I was outside hanging out with the Dead Guy crew and we're just like fucking drinking 40s you know drinking malt liquor i can't remember if it was it was oe or saint eyes but those were like those were like <laughs> my, my ones of choice back in the day and you know i was like chain smoking newports and um <laughs> those guys were you know like we're just having a good time and they're like nursing their beers and taking their time but like fucking polished off like two and a half 40s uh before we had to play <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I mean, I feel fucking good. And we're up on stage, like, fucking playing. And um, at one point, like, I just stopped in the middle of a fucking song. This this was before Bob was in Union. Um, I, I literally just stopped. And the guys turn around, like, what the fuck? And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, so I started playing again. And now the alcohol is, <laughs> like, really fucking hitting me. Um, so then next thing I know, I'm like, oh, I got a fucking fart. I didn't fart, man. I flat out shit my pants. Oh, God. Sitting on my drum throne, you know, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I just shit my pants. So once again, (laughs) I get up in the middle of the song. The band's still playing, but I'm not because I just shit myself. And I start walking off the fucking stage. I don't know what the hell's going on. And my buddy Aaron, the guy who wound up singing the voice killer, um, he comes over and fucking grabs me and like brings me back over to the drums and sits me down in you know on my shitty stool and, and I finish the fucking set and then uh after it was over um everyone's like oh we're starving we're gonna go over to subway to eat and someone just like mentioned subway and i just fucking start fucking puking everywhere in a fucking set of bushes you know so that was fucking <laughs> pretty embarrassing you know um but there's there's like crazy shit like uh I don't know. Like New York is is was a much more violent place than than Buffalo and Rochester. Um and I remember the first time um Union was was going back downstate so we could play um where we grew up in front of like our friends down there and you know we brought despair with us and um you know no one knew who despair really was down there so they they had to play before us. So despair played first and then Union played. And then after us, like Fury of Five fucking hits the stage and they're fucking playing. People start going fucking nuts. And then someone in the crowd says something really disparaging uh, to Kevin from Bulldoze. And then all of a sudden a fucking riot breaks out and someone picks up a fucking uh, cymbal stand, smacks this dude in the back of the head and he drops to the fucking floor and he's twitching. It was like cerebral fluid coming out of this fucking this guy's spine, the back of his fucking head. My buddy Jeremy, who's an EMT, runs over and sticks his fingers in this guy's fucking spine in his back to stop the cerebral fluid from running out. The fucking cops fucking come, shut the whole fucking thing down. 
And then, uh, you know, you go to a diner after because that's what you do downstate. Like, it's all about diners, going going to a Greek diner. And, uh, you know, the guys in despair were like, what the fuck just happened? You know, and you're just like, oh, that's that's what it is, you know. Uh, that's how shows are down here, you know. Um, I remember, you know, my buddy Aaron coming down to visit me in the summertime when I, when I was home from school, visit my mom. And I brought him out to go see, like, 25 to Life. And... You know, there was a fucking big fucking riot there. Um, people fucking stabbed each other with broken beer bottles and stuff. You know, it's like fucking par for the course, you know. Um, it's just, just you know, it's like fucking it's funny shit that you, you remember, too. You know, like, um, yeah, <laughs> I remember like being in the middle of fucking Germany and uh, trying to find a payphone so I could like call my wife and just tell her how like you know, our one tour is going, but I got to wait for Jesse, the fucking singer of like Herod to get off the fucking phone with, with his girlfriend at the time. So he's finally done. I go and I'm, I'm talking on the fucking phone to my wife. Like, what the fuck smells in here, man? I looked down, Jesse was wasted and he just fucking pissed all over the fucking floor of the fucking phone booth that I'm standing in there. <laughs> and I got to stand in there. Cause the only fucking phone booth that I could find in, in Weimar, Germany, you know, and I hadn't talked to my wife in like, you know, four or five days or something like that. You know, um, you know, it's 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 all fucking just ridiculous. You know, like the face of panic 2007 summer tour, you know, um, me and Sweeper had made a pack to like fucking eat a Whopper, uh, not a Whopper, a Baconator at every fucking Wendy's that we could stop at on the way out, you know, way out west and the way out back. And we'd eat, we both ate like 30 fucking 30 fucking baconators in like fucking 18 uh, days, you know, like, you know, like crazy shit like that's just fucking dumb. Or, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, being on the road with wrong, the oppressor and, uh, showing up at a venue in fucking Madison and it's in a basement and there's literally a fucking functioning toilet in the fucking center of the, the dance floor, you know, that <laughs> someone had definitely recently shit in, like five minutes prior to the show starting and people having to mosh and not fall in this fucking shit filled toilet, Ugh. you know, or, you know, driving back, you know, from Madison to, to Buffalo and uh, like our drive shaft falling off the fucking van. We're doing like 80 miles an hour. And all of a sudden I look out the fucking rear view mirror. I'm like, yo, I think our drive shaft just fell off. It's like rolling across the fucking highway. And all of a sudden, we, like, slow down to zero miles an hour. We, we had to stay in, like, Racine, uh, Illinois for, like, a night. And uh, we got a hotel room, and there are fucking, like, dirty black socks washing, you know, like, sitting in the sink, a sink full of fucking water from, like, the people who were there before us. You're like, what the fuck? Ugh. You know, gross shit. Or, you know, dead of the world. Um, we're trying to follow Rick Healy from like the Manville Elks Lodge to some fucking hotel we're going to stay at because we're playing the next day with 25 to life, you know, after the show we had just played. And uh, we're driving like 80 miles an hour and then the fucking hood flies up, you know, and we got our heads sticking out the windows, you know, looking like Ace Ventura driving a fucking car. <laughs> I mean, it's just like so much fucking funny, funny shit <clears throat> and scary shit too, you know, like. <clears throat> Going to Mexico for the first time is fucking terrifying, you know, because, well, at least playing in Tijuana, face panic is going to play in fucking Tijuana. And um, there are literally fucking 
cops who will fucking arrest you for jaywalking. And they're, they're standing in the back of like four Rangers that have fucking, you know, giant machine guns attached to it. <clears throat> you see all these little kids selling like chiclets, individual chiclets. You're like, what the fuck, man? And, you know, I walked past an alley in Tijuana. There was someone spray painting a donkey so it looked like a zebra. What the fuck? I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, you know? But that's all the fun shit about being in a band is like, you know, or stupid shit. Like, I don't know. Like, like, like I said, man, you're in some fucking city on Sunday night. You get done at like two in the morning. And you're like, all right, you guys got to be at work or at school in eight hours. It's a six hour drive. If I stop once and I do 85 miles an hour the whole way, we could do it. And, you know, like racing the clock to get back, you know, <clears throat> that's the shit that's fun. You know, um, a lot of a lot of times, you know, being in bands, it seems like like a fucking huge burden and a giant pain in the ass. But it's like, dude, what the fuck would I be doing otherwise? You know, like just sitting at home watching TV, you know, like. You, you could do that any fucking time. You got one chance. If, if someone wants to put out your record, if someone wants to give you a fucking show, like you're fucking lucky. That's cool. A lot of people would love to have the, the chance to do that. You know, don't be a schmuck. Go out, fucking put on a good show. You know, try and be professional. Appreciate the fact that you have the opportunity to do these things. You know, especially as you're getting older, it's not, it's, it's not that easy to do. You know, I'm, I'm very thankful of the opportunities we get. And, you know, a, a lot of the people that I worked with years ago are still willing to throw me and my bands a bone now, you know, um, it's fucking sweet. You know, um, everybody always like, uh, you know, seems not like it was, you know, well, yeah, it, it is. You're just older. Your perspective is different, but it's, it's pretty much all the same shit. It's a bunch of people just trying to fucking impress everybody else, you know? Uh, aside from touring with Kiss, uh, are there are there any things in hardcore and, and music in general that you haven't accomplished that you would like to? No, I guess you know, I guess not, man. Like, um, I don't know, man. When when, when I guess this, I, mean, I had this conversation with my wife earlier today. I had my kids out. Um, we went to to UB because it's it's closed for the semester. There's fucking no one there. The parking lots are huge and empty. So I wanted all my girls to be able to ride their bikes around this giant parking lot. You know, I don't have to worry about cars or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I, I went to school there. I, you know, I, I, I loved the school. I thought it was great. My, my time there was a fucking ton of fun. Um, you know, and, and that was unions home base and, and, um, yeah, a lot of fond memories, but at the same time, like, fuck man, you know, imagine if I actually like gave a shit about school and like applied myself, like, you know, maybe I could have been something more than I am, you know? And, uh, I think my whole life, I, I, I don't like making plans, you know, that are too far ahead. I kind of just live for that day and try to make the most of that day, which is fucking cool. Um, but you know, sometimes you got to plan down the road, but like, you know, as far as like playing in bands, it was all like, all right, man, someone's putting out a record for us. Fucking awesome. You know, Oh, someone gave us a show. Well, let's get another show. Like, you know, what am I going to fucking do? You know, I, I put out 40 fucking something records on big labels, on small labels. Like, um, I, I don't really care anymore. Um, as long as someone will put something out and someone will give me a show, um, they can see what I'm doing. 
I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I kind of have the best of, of everything, I guess, you know, like I did, I got my college degree, so I got a fucking job as a teacher, which is fucking cool. I'm 10 years away from retiring. You know, I got a house, I got a fucking wife who I've been with for 23 years. I got my kids, you know, but at the same time, I got a fucking awesome music collection. I played in a fucking ton of fucking bands and been all over the fucking world. Like, you know, like fuck man, if, if, if this was it, um, I, you know, I got, I got no regrets. Like, yeah, sure. Some of the bands could have done more and been bigger, <clears throat> but whatever, you know, that's, I can't dwell on the past. Like you just keep moving forward. Like I've done some stuff that was cool. I think what I'm doing now is cool. And, um, I don't really, I don't, I don't really care. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, um, I never got into hardcore and punk with the intention of trying to make a career out of it per se you know um the closest i came was 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 like fucking herod i guess you know like we had fucking a good record label and giant fucking a and r and pr companies that we worked for and did big tours and shit like that um you know but sometimes it's it's just not meant to be you know doesn't matter how good your band is um sometimes it matters more how you network um Sometimes you could be doing everything right, but it, it just doesn't fucking hit. Um, and like worrying about the business shit like sucks, man. I like just for me, 99% of me being in the band is hanging out with my friends. Like, this is cool. We're just hanging out, shooting the shit. Hey, while we're down here, we might as well write some songs too. You know, um, hey, if I'm going to be at the show to go see this band, why don't we just have a band and our band will play this show also? You know, um, so it's kind of cool. My, my, my only, you know, I don't know, man. Like, uh, it just, it, it sucks that I think this pandemic's gonna do a lot more damage to the music scene for quite a while. I think a lot of venues aren't going to be able to weather the storm. Um, the longer that it goes on, I think a lot of bands will just say, fuck it. This isn't important anymore. Or, you know, the bands that were, just barely making a living getting by or just gonna just just call it a day you know um uh, who knows you know a lot of people are losing their jobs and it might be a while before they can save up money again to buy new gear or to go record and, you know um i'm a little nervous for for other people in this this situation you know how it's gonna all turn out you know but for me like i just gotta fucking focus on like hey man i've done some really cool shit um and I'm going to continue to do what I can. Like I said, as long as if one person's buying our record, two people are paying attention to us at a show and it's always worth it for me. It's always, it's always fun, you know, because like, what's the alternative? Like I said, I'm going to sit around and just watch TV. Yeah, that's true. And the, and, and the, the future of the music industry has definitely come up in a couple of conversations. I mean, obviously it would come up in a conversation with somebody like Chris Ring, um, yeah. and, and it's just something I've been thinking about too, because it's kind of, I, I honestly think a lot like you do, like, I don't know how many bands are going to really want to keep doing this after like kind of putting pressing pause for, we really don't know how long it's going to be at this point, you know? And then another thing that's come up in conversation a few times and that I've kind of thought of recently is like, I want to start doing shows again too, but like how many competing shows are going to be at one point? Cause all these bands are going to be on tour, you know, and, you, and who's going to be going to what shows it's just, there's just so many variables now that you never would have had to have thought of before with, with, with doing shows and, and playing shows and kind of like you, I just want to do this stuff and have fun. But 
I can't really afford to be walking down to the ATM for a show either, you know? So, Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you got, you got more responsibility, things that are more important than, than paying a, paying a band their guarantee. You know, I, I heard you, you know, mentioned doing the, the door deals and stuff and that's mm-hmm. probably going to be more of those now than, than having set guarantees. But I mean, I'm sure ring has told you like in Buffalo, there, there can be like five to seven shows in the same, mm-hmm. you know, genre on a given fucking night. Cause people don't give a shit around here that, Hey man, ring had his show booked first. They don't care. They want to book their show. They're going to book it anyway. And you have like, you know, all this finite number of people, um, you know, who can go to each show, but they're getting pulled in five different directions. You know, um, it's just funny, man. You it, it, talk to Joe Valella, Jay Galvin, Jim Callahan, Doug White, you know, talk to old dudes about what, you know, show sizes were like during the nineties. You know, if it was under 300 people, you were like fucking bummed out. You're like, fuck, I don't even want to play. There's nobody here. Now you get like <laughs> fucking 50 people, you know, on a, on a fucking Wednesday, Thursday night. You're like, Jesus Christ, this is packed. This is great. You know, it's not because the music isn't any, you know, uh, less quality than it was. It's just that, you know, like, like I said, my first show with juggernaut um, was with Madball, and there were probably only like 75 people there, but that's because public enemy was also playing down the street, a free show in Buffalo. And then um, uh, it wasn't the wonder years, but something that sounds close to that title fight, wonder years kind of shit over yeah. uh, another club playing that night too. So you had like all these people, you know, because a lot of us that grew up listening to, to Public Enemy, you know, are in a mad ball. Um, so you had people who would have been there. And then a lot of younger guys are in a mad ball also, but they grew up listening to like pop punk, you know, and it just it, it, it just sucks. So if what you were saying is when this all lifts, you know, instead of five shows on the same night, it might be 15, you know, and that's not going to help anybody. So I guess if you could come up with like a dream show of like four to six bands and it could be any era and it doesn't matter what style the bands would be, uh, what, what kind of bands do you think would be on a show like that? Uh, okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to just hardcore and punk though, not, not, not metal or anything. Um, let's see. <clears throat> I'd love to see the Sex Pistols, right? You know, I, I mean, obviously seen the Ramones. Everybody's seen the Ramones. Well, that's actually yeah, not man. true. But um, the Sex Pistols, um, they get fucking slagged so fucking much. Um, but they were fucking brilliant. Steve Jones is an amazing fucking songwriter. Um, John Lydon's fucking such a fucking character. Even though now I think he's kind of a douche. He seems to be more like a trumper now. But I can't tell yeah, if he's yeah. doing it just to troll people. Um, but fuck Sid Vicious, you know, like um, Sid Vicious, you know, wasn't even really part of the equation. He was just a face, you know, bring back your original fucking bass player like you did when you did the reunions in the 90s. Um, so Sex Pistols, um, Black Flag with uh, with with Keith Morris singing. Um, let's see. Shit. Uh, Agent Orange with. um like Derek O'Brien and Brent Lyles, um, fucking adolescence, um, you know, like the frontier records era version of the band. Um, and then see shit, man. Like I'm realizing I'm just going 78 to like, like 86 era. (laughs) If I had to go a little like later than that, um, 
I'll go fucking something crazy that people think I'm smoking crack for saying like like cast iron hike. I fucking oh, love cast iron hike. Um, not just as people, not just because you used to tour them. I just think they were fucking amazing and did not get any of the fucking credit that they deserved. Um, they're just such a fucking powerful live band. Uh, you know, all fucking heart. Um, I'd love to see them again. You know, like every other fucking band, like, you know, the most of the bands I like, I've seen, you know, like it'd be cool yeah. if Gotti played another show, but like at this point, you know, it's been so long. I like, why would they be doing it? You know, um, minor threat, the thought of minor threat playing sounds awesome, but it probably wouldn't be awesome. And they, I think they recognize that, um, you know, uh, Jesus, dude. I don't know, like, because all the bands are back. You know, you can see, you know, I think my, Chris, my buddy Chris Wyatt said in one of Mark Miller's uh, podcasts, he's like, you could currently see like three different versions of Dag Nasty at this point in time. You know, you <laughs> see Dave Smalley out there doing Dag Nasty stuff with his band. You could see Field Day, and then you you could see, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, another version of Dag Nasty. You know, like like people are are just so spoiled. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'd love to see Adam and the Ants, too. Like, uh, prior to uh, the Kings of the Wild Frontier album, when he, when he was still more punk, you know, um, unless, you know, Goody Two-Shoes kind of shit. Um, yeah, that's it. You know, like, like because like, pretty much um, I was lucky enough to, to, to grow up, you know, in the, the, the 80s and the 90s, 2000s, and, like, you know, been able to see everyone I really, really wanted to see. It's just the shit from the seventies. I was, you know, a couple of years old and the sex pistols were playing. So, you know, there's no way I could have saw that, you know, um, or stuff where it's like geographically challenged, you know? Um, so yeah, but I mean like anything with Keith Morris is, is always fucking awesome. You know, I, I can't wait for this, this watermelon record from off to finally come out. You know, I'm super fucking stoked on that. You know, the Circle Jerks doing like the group sex 40th anniversary tour is like super pumped on, but now it's put off because of COVID. You know, um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. You know, the Addicts when they played here in January in Buffalo was fucking mind blowing. You know, like that band's been around since like 1975. They're fucking incredible still. You know, yeah, you mentioned some bands that I definitely wouldn't have thought of. And uh, most of the bands that I'd want to see are from the early 80s, too. Um, but I never would have thought of the Sex Pistols. And they were, and they were probably one of the three or four bands that introduced me to all this stuff. So it's that's a, definitely a, a good call there. Um, and I guess kind of going off of you, you talking about the band Off, uh, what other current bands are you listening to that you're liking? Uh, well, I guess, I, I guess you know, um, younger band-wise... Um, you know, I, I, I do think Akulu's pretty sweet. Um, I like candy, you know, not because it's just because it's Drew and Zach Buffalo guys. I think they're fucking awesome. Um, you know, uh, let's see mind force. I like, um, you know, I've known Jay, the singer forever when he was in when dreams die and stuff, he was a drummer and robots and empire. Um, you know, and then, then Mike, the guitar player, uh, went to high school with my little brother. Um, I think they, they're, they fucking rip, not that they're doing anything new, but they've managed to take the, the best parts of all these bands that I loved, you know, between 88 and like 92 and, 
put a fucking fresh spin on it. Um, you know, I, I, I do think a lot of the, you know, some cool Buffalo shit going on, like the elites really awesome. Eric Elman's playing drums for him, but that's, you know, Nick Turlecki, uh, and, and Mason, um, you know, are the young guys, but they, they fucking bring it. And Nick Turlecki was in war by other means and, and clear focus. Uh, it's just, just, there's just so much stuff out there, you know, restraining orders, fucking cool. Um, just a lot of, a lot of cool stuff that's, that's, that's out there more cool stuff than shit I can bag on. Um, I mean, there are a ton of bands that, uh, I think are too new metal influenced, you know, like new metal wasn't my deal. I didn't like corn and limp biscuit and, you know, uh, <laughs> I, one of those bands that used to put fucking stupid face paint on mud vein, you know, <laughs> um, and, and all, you know, a lot of these bands that are out now, like cite them as influences and I want to just fucking give them shit, you know, but they're young kids when they were young, they can't help. That's what they heard because, you know, their, their parents were new metal or something, or they were conceived at Woodstock 99, like, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, I, I give I try and give everything a chance, and and it makes it easier for me to see these bands live. Like if if I hear something on, like I said, you know, if I hear something online, um, which is rare because I usually would rather see a band and then buy something. Um, but if I hear something online and I see the band, they're fucking terrible. Like oh, um, you know, or if I'm reading an interview and a band's like, yeah, man, we were we were, we were really influenced by like Corn, and I'm like, well, I am really not going to listen to your band now. You know? <laughs> But but that's like with the Deftones too. If I see the word the Deftones, I uh, automatically I'm like, nope, new metal. See, I, I don't want to listen to what you're doing. Yeah, it's interesting you would say that too because uh, I, I think we both kind of feel bad naming any of the band's names, so I'm not going to do it either. Mm-hmm. But there were some of these bands that are around now that that claim to be influenced by new metal that I didn't really notice it until I saw that, and now it's hard for me to go back and listen to those bands. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, the, but that band Ikulu, uh, Alex Byrne actually just mentioned them to me the other day, so I'll have to def- definitely go check them out. And um, you mentioning that the singer from Mind Force played drums from When Dreams Die is interesting to me, too, because I never knew that. Yeah. And he, I like he, my... He played uh, drums in Living Laser also and Robots and Empire. Like, Jay was always just this dude I know who played drums, you know? And then he, he decided he was going to fucking sing. And I was like, holy shit, dude, you know? A kid, he fucking, I shouldn't call him a kid. He's like fucking two years younger than me. You know, he, huh. he fucking kills it. Yeah, that's interesting. I never knew that. I like Mind Force a lot too. So it's, and, you know, When Dreams Die was obviously a completely different band, but I like those guys too. And I think I even, I'm pretty sure I booked them once or twice. There's a lot of shows around that era. Um, yeah, I mean, so they, I want to say you did because they, they, they definitely played in Buffalo too. Um, and that's when, um, you know, Matt Fox from Shy Hulud was, was doing Eyes of March records. And um, he had, you know, a whole slew of bands from that Poughkeepsie area that he put out and we're getting them on shows. And, um, you know, uh, Matt definitely had ins in Rochester, you know, because Shy Hulud and Dead of the World, when we toured together, you know, we did shows in Rochester and stuff too. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know if When Dreams Die was coming to Buffalo, it would make sense for them to have played rochester at some point in time too so i guess what ethics have you taken from hardcore that that you can attribute to your daily life i guess it's more like like from punk um you know which obviously hardcore sprang sprang from punk but um i just just like question everything 
you know, um, I don't just take something at face value because t- someone's telling me, you know, this is how it is. Um, and it gets me, in a, you know, used to get me in a lot of trouble before. Like I've, I've lost jobs for fucking questioning different things. Um, you know, and, but uh, that's always been my nature. Luckily, I, I work for a union now and I can question shit all that I want because I know I have a union backing me up. Um, but it, it, I, like I said, um, there's always two sides, three sides, four sides, to every fucking story. And, uh, also it taught me to not be a fucking follower, you know? Um, there are too many, and I think we talked about this last time, or it might've been, you know, I've done a couple of podcasts since we did our last podcast. So, um, there, there used to be more definitive people in the hardcore scene, you know, like, uh, I don't know, more personality, you know, like someone like Ruben is a big personality. Jeremy Smith is a big personality, you know, Bill Page, strong personalities. And for a while, it just seemed like the hardcore scene was just a full of fucking bunch of the same fucking kid, you know, who didn't really have any personality of their own, you know? Um, and, and I always, you know, try to gravitate people who are comfortable just being themselves. Like, like, dude, I wanted to play in a fucking metal band. So I went and fucking played in a metal band, you know? Um, I fucking want to shave my head into a mohawk. I'll fucking do that. You know, if, 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 if I want to dress a certain way, I dress a certain way. Like, I, I don't care. I'm not like trying to impress anybody. Um, you know, especially at my age, like, I don't give a fuck, man. Like, you know, and I tell my friends, man, if you like my bands, fucking cool. If you don't, that's fucking cool too. You know, um, I'm not gonna, you know, track people down to come and see me play. If, if they want to see me play, they probably already know about it. Like, and, and that all goes back to being punk, man. You just, what, what's your motivation? My motivation is to just keep myself fucking happy. You know, if I, if some cool shit comes from that awesome but if it doesn't like if someone doesn't put out a record for me it doesn't give me a fucking show i'm still gonna fucking play in a band and be down the basement practicing and doing something you know my motivation is always just to have fun and be myself you know and 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 that's something i think um going into the hardcore scene where it was full of fucking rejects um society's rejects you know that's where i felt most comfortable and when I started hair in the early two thousands, I wasn't feeling comfortable in the hardcore scene because there's too many fucking people that just were, were just trying to be fucking cool. And, you know, they had no attachment to the scene. They, they weren't trying to be themselves. They were trying to be something they weren't something more. They weren't happy with who they were. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And, and you talking about like questioning everything. I've always thought that I was just like a really stubborn person, which I, I think I still am, but, but I, I question a lot of things too. And, and I never really thought about it like that, that a lot of that does come from like the punk ethics and just, you know, not, not just taking things for people tell you they are like face value, whatever, like, like really kind of digging deep and understanding why things are the way they are. And if somebody tells you something that doesn't have to necessarily be the way it is, you know? Yeah. yeah another thing I got to say is like when, when I was growing up, um, you know, my dad would always, I would bitch about something like life's life's not fair. Life's not fair. Well, why the fuck isn't it, man? Like if I have some ability to make life more fair for myself, for someone else, for my kids, like I'm going to fucking do it. You know, like 
And that's why, like, when I started teaching, I got heavily involved in the union. And some of my older teacher friends and some of my former teachers like, don't get involved in the union. Just, you know, keep your head down, <laughs> you know, stay out of trouble. I'm like, fuck that. You know, like, I'm the one who will speak up for kids. Like, hey, you are not doing that. That's violating the law. You cannot do that. Or, you know, hey, you're violating our contract. That teacher is not going to do this and that. And, um, you know, like, I don't know, punk teaches you to to stand up for yourself and to stand up for others right that like that's the whole fucking idea you're you're in the fucking pit and someone falls you pick them up right you know and i used to mosh all the time when i was younger but you know i i, I could tell you definitively i remember like the last time i moshed was like i don't know 2000 i remember you know dead of the world playing a show with fucking Haybreed. and if i told you this story stop me now um we were out <laughs> In Vermont. And uh, <clears throat> Haybreed starts playing. I start fucking moshing. Someone hits me in the nose. Next thing I know, I'm fucking punching someone. It's fucking black. I can't see what the fuck's going on. <laughs> Jamie stops the band. The lights come on. I was beating the shit out of like a 14-year-old. I was like 25 <laughs> at the fucking time. So you know what, man? I'm not fucking moshing anymore because I have no right to fucking ruin this whole fucking scene for this fucking kid. You know, like, if you can't be a good sport about it, I didn't want to. I, I took myself out of the equation. The, the the whole the whole thing with the scene was always trying to be welcoming, um, make people feel at home, and help the scene grow. And you know, at that point where I realized, like, I'm in a pit voluntarily. Someone hits me in the nose, you know, and I start fucking beating the shit out of them, only to find out it's a fucking teenager. Like, what the fuck, you know? What the hell am I doing? I shouldn't be in the pit then, you know, like. You have to expect those things to happen. If you can't be a good sport, get the fuck out because I want the scene to get bigger. You know, that kid may have, that may have been the only show we ever fucking went to and never went back ever again. I don't want that shit to happen, you know? Um, and that's the thing too, man. Like, um, I, I, I think, I think punk rock has taught me like extreme loyalty. Um, you know, I'm very loyal to, to hardcore and punk, um, you know, sometimes I'm pretty sure I love hardcore and punk more than it loves me. But um, this is who I am. This is what I like. If people like what I'm doing, cool. If people don't like what I'm doing, well, oh, well, I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to do it because I, I, I bought in from day one. And this is what I'm about. And I'm always going to be that guy who tries to fucking help the young bands. I'm going to be that guy who tries to help people who are my age, you know, like because um, that's how we make it make it stronger. Um so, yeah, man, um, obviously a lot of it has to deal with with my own fucking upbringing before punk and hardcore. I mean, like, you know, my, my parents must have did an OK job, you know, um, I'm, I'm not dead. I'm not in jail. And, uh, you know, so I have to look at them. You know, they weren't necessarily supportive of me playing in bands, um, uh, but they never told me I couldn't. You know, they just told me don't fucking practice with my bands when they're home or, you know, turn it down. <laughs> it sounds like shit, you know, um, but, you know, hey, man, um, it is what it is. And, and it's, it's been fun and, and it'll continue to be fun. And I'm just dreading the day because obviously um, for me, I look at an older band like like sick of it all. The guys in the, in the Chrome mags or agnostic front and when they throw in the towel, then it's like, all right, well, those guys were 58, 60 years old, you know, 
that's probably when I should throw in the towel. Um, so I just hope they keep fucking going forever. I mean, right <laughs> now, like, you know, Ian McKay and, and Henry Rollins, like, don't do shit musically anymore because they, they feel they're too old to do it. Um, but if fucking Vinny Stigma's out there, I'm going to keep going as long as he is, you know? But I just dread the day where I'm going to have to stop because I'm just going to look like a fucking ridiculous bag of shit up on stage, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, and to kind of backtrack a little bit from that last answer, uh, did you have you ever, I'm sure you have to have thought about this at least a little bit that uh, the name Mike Union has taken on a different meaning at this point in your life. Yeah, totally fucking ironic, man. Because <laughs> you know, um, I want like like I said, I think in the, in the, the one interview, I, I, I think John Salemi is the one who called me like Mike Union at first. You know, um, so then like when email like started, and uh, I use Mike Union for my Hotmail address you know which i still have a fucking hotmail address but um <laughs> <clears throat> uh you know everybody knew me from like playing in the band union you know um but now it's weird like like i don't fucking tell other teachers like i said i i don't tell anyone that i work with what i fucking do they just find out somehow and it's usually richie from juggernaut will, will fucking say something you know um but uh most of the people that I work with, they're like, Mike Union, you know, is that, is that because you're so involved in the, the Buffalo Teachers <laughs> Union? And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, exactly, you know. So people think that that's what it is, you know. But like I said, man, it's weird. Getting old fucking weird. Like, depending on when you met me, you know, like, um, if someone met me in the 90s, they know me from the band Union. But someone who, you know, met me when I was doing, like, Herod, they have no fucking clue who Union was, you know, like... Um, a lot of people don't know any of the bands I did before. A lot of people only know a certain band I did years ago. Um, there's not many people who have been on like my musical journey the entire way, you, you know, like that's, what's weird about getting old. So I guess kind of wrapping things up, uh, do you have anything else to add or anything else that we didn't touch on? No, no, you know, man. Um, thank you very much for, for having me do this. Uh, I don't know if anyone gives a shit at all. Um, you know, if they do, that's really awesome. Uh, but like I said, I, I, I do appreciate this. And, and I like the fact that um, you're acknowledging how Buffalo and Rochester are, are so tied together. And, you know, you could tell just from, from Jim's stories um, how Buffalo and Rochester have, have been tied together. Um, you know, people putting out split, split records, playing in bands together, uh, doing shows with each other. Um, and, you know, obviously Buffalo is bigger than Rochester, but, you know, Buffalo and Rochester combined is a, is a really big geographic area with, with millions of people and done a lot of cool shit um, that needs to be recognized other than, you know, like, like New York City, Long Island, Syracuse, you know, always get talked about. Syracuse, not as much anymore, obviously, um, but Buffalo, Rochester, you know, and, and even Albany. I've had a lot of great fucking bands that, that, that people need to know about and, and hear about. And I, I do as a history teacher think that, that people need to know their roots. You know, that's, that's the whole thing with hardcore, right? You know, don't forget your roots. Don't forget the struggle. Don't forget the streets. I mean, too many people like that. <laughs> maybe they didn't have to struggle and maybe that's why they don't know their roots, but there's, <laughs> there's no excuse. You, you, you gotta know your roots and you have to understand why it's important. You know, the shit didn't just, you were, you didn't just have the ability 
to fucking know how to do a, a, a DIY seven inch and get it distributed and fucking play shows all over the place. You know, somebody had to tell you how to do this. And someone told that person and it goes all the way fucking back. And the music you like sounds this way because this band, this band and this band laid that fucking foundation for you, you know, um, you know, and, and honestly, if, if more people knew their roots, you know, as to they, they, where this all came from, I think they'd get along a lot better, you know, have a better understanding. All right, man. Oh, that fucking 50 year old man. You know, he came up in that age when this band was popular and these guys were 30, you know, and that's why they're into this and that. Like, I don't know, it just gives a, a better understanding, you know, for us old guys, like I said, we just have to make sure that we have more patience with the young kids and just understand like, they don't fucking know. They, they have the world in the palm of their hand with their phones, but <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't look it up. So we have to teach them, you know, but you got to teach them in a way where you're not a fucking dickhead about it. You know, and just, Hey, Hey man, look, I've been here for a long time doing this thing year after year after year. And I see kids come into the scene. They're all fucking hard and heavy. And then they're gone in three or four years. If you want to fucking last, you know, this is, this is how it works. You know, you got to bring these people under your wing make them, you know, accommodate them and, and, and try and help them along, um, you know, rather than just be like your band fucking sucks, take a fucking hike, you know, <laughs> um, but young kids could fucking, you know, hey, man, I understand me and the guys in my band are usually old, fat, gray haired looking dudes, but I know we look like your dads, but we're probably a, <laughs> hell of a lot cooler than your dads, you know, just give us a chance, you know. Um, but it is cool. Like Nick Turlecki from, uh, from the elite, um, his dad is just five years older than me, maybe. And, uh, he was all in the fucking bad religion and, uh, you know, circle jerks, um, you know, um, fucking dead Kennedys and stuff like that. So I remember when GOA was practicing, you know, for our covers record that we did, um, Nick would always come by the rooms like, dude, you're fucking playing bad religion. Oh my God. You, you know, you're playing the misfits. He's like, my dad would play all this stuff. I grew up listening to this stuff. So it's kind of cool to see this different generation. And then Bill Page made reference to, to Mason who plays in the elite. Um, you know, his mom um, being a part of the hardcore scene, you know, Mason's mom, Katie went to high school with my wife and they've been friends, you know, for, for 30 years. You know, so it, it, it's cool to see Katie's kid, is now into the same stuff that she was and my bands are playing shows with her son's bands, you know, <laughs> it's fucking crazy stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I have been listening, uh, to all the episodes and it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked to, to hear the ring one. Um, because it's, it's just amazing to see, you know, uh, Chris started out with just buying like, old hardcore guys who had left the scene, like calling them up be like, Hey man, we want to buy your, me and my buddy, my cousin Donnie <laughs> want to buy your record collection, you know, cause you're not in the scene anymore. And they started out with budget distro and now he, he owns a fucking club. And, and uh, you know what I mean? Like to, mm -hmm. to, to see how, how he was able to, to just, just start out so small and, and just turn into something so big and so legit, you know, it's, it's fucking awesome. That concludes part two of my interview with Mike Jeffers. On this episode, you heard the following five songs from Mike's bands. You heard You Are the Cancer from Face the Panic, Eight Hours by Area Denial, 
The Insatiable Delusion from Gentlemen of Age, Beyond Determination by Juggernaut, and Derelicted by Longest War. Before I wrap things up, I have one more song from Mike's bands. The song is called Perdition is Humanity, and it's by The March.
Thanks to everyone for taking a break from all the craziness in this world right now to check out episode 10. Special thanks to Mike Jeffers for doing both interviews with me. Thanks to Rob for all the help with the podcast. And as always, thanks to my family for all the support. See everyone real soon and stay safe.